HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by Worldwide Soba, a Japanese noodle production company. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Black culture through the complicated lens of agriculture. We speak to Carla Hall about her uncompromising soul food recipes. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I changing my family's history for another culture. We also hear from Gabriela Rodriguez at Harlem Grown's Youth Farm Uptown. About empowerment and, you know, community resilience building through this work. Um, Food is kind of just a vehicle. Leah Penniman addresses feeling like an outsider in the farming community. I could count on my two hands the number of of people who appeared to be POC, people of color. And so I literally go around little slips of paper and and say, hey, meet at one o'clock under this tree so we can talk. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, everybody, welcome to the show Life's a Banquet. That's edible, spreadable, and Zara. Horrible! Starring your hosts, me, Brent and Scott, and me, Zara Tangora. A show about chocolate and wine and bread, champagne and scandal and crackers in bed. I'm drunk! <laughs> Always. Life's a banquet, life's a banquet, life's a banquet, life's a banquet! Want another? Consider it done. <laughs> oh, welcome to ah. Life's a Banquet, the show about the highs and lows of all things edible, spreadable, and Zara... Twirlable. Pourable, like this tequila into my mouth <laughs> at 4 p.m. on a glorious Tuesday here in the heart of the world, Brooklyn, New York. All right? Yes. Hello. How are you? Ahoy, me matey. What a week. Oh, hold on, hold on. I really, really, really was feeling nervous, and then I Take felt, a shot of tequila. Just I had do a it. shot we're of tequila. Gonna, we're going to just I, do it together. Okay, ready? And one, one, two, three. Oh, my goodness. All my troubles seem so far away. Uh, Copyright. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the Beatles. Well, sorry. tell me about this week. What did, what did you eat and drink and... Screw, <sighs> oh, uh, and, and <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, I ate and drank exactly what I screwed. It's all one thing with me. And what is that Carrots. One? <laughs> oh. Carrot top, carrot stick, carrot cake. You realize, how that, <laughs> you realize how this sounds right now. So Zara's into carrots. I'm drunk. <laughs> yeah. She's drunk. You're into carrots. <clears throat> well, 
Our producer just left, obviously. He's not that interested. Oh, <laughs> bye. bye. We're on our own. Kids are on okay. our own. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's party. More tequila. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Seriously. So what did I do? What Tell I me about your drink? carrot cake. Well, I didn't actually make carrot cake. That's a lie. But I, what lying, I, my lying biggest takeaway from the week, honestly, and I know this isn't necessarily food and drink related yet, you can do but I think you want. we can tie it around. I Say must it. just put out there. I know you didn't watch the Oscars. I did not. So you're, you have a... You have a curmudgeon grandmother over on your on your left side and on your right I, side. I watched them just as something to do. Exactly. Becky and Adam came over, and the food-related thing is that I did use my Instapot to braise some short ribs. Mm-hmm. I was completely shocked, I gotta be honest with you, B. Scott, on how quickly these your, things cooked. This was your first Instapot experience, right? Well, what the heck right? is going on in there, anyway? It's a pressure cooker. I've been using pressure cooker since the dawn of creation of I'm time. I'm under a lot of pressure all the time, and I certainly don't get things done any quicker because of it. Ba-dum-bum. Well, I had the, one of those old pressure cookers with the kind that, oh, yeah. you know, that rattles. Very dangerous. Uh, very dangerous, very scary. Uh, you can't, you know, you keep, you don't have a brown and a saute setting, no. you know, but you just do that ahead of time. Anyway. It's either off or scalding burns so, that are with you for the rest of your life. Zara told me, everybody that's listening, all of you global listeners, that her ribs and, or what were they, short, short ribs, ribs, right? She cooked short ribs. She told us, I'm going to spoil it, that you said they were sticky, icky, gooey, and gorgeous they were delicious. and wonderful. They were fabulous. And I'm a new convert to the Instapot. Instapot, call me. This is not an advertisement. This is just simply a plea for a new husband or boyfriend. Well, it's funny because I've been all over the internet. I, you know, Melissa Clark, I think, has a has a cookbook out and Kat Kinsman has those Instapot mm. stories she does on YouTube. So people are out there obviously figuring this out and yeah. discovering it. I'm I the, the old-fashioned. Call me old-fashioned, but I, old ha- fashioned. I also have the luxury of time. I like my crock pot, or uh, my crock pot. I like my Dutch oven and the oven. I like the color. I like the way it changes color in the oven. I like the process of it. It takes longer. I know I'm open, but I don't, no, room, I'm not, I don't have room for another appliance. I actually feel similarly. I'm not I'm not with you or against you. I'm I'm running parallel to you. I'm also very old fashioned. I'm not the kind of person to replace a tried and true piece of equipment with a newfangled invention from mm-hmm. the future. But I did really like this. The point of like the story. Like the microwave. Oh shoo. Get out get the hell out of here, <laughs> microwaves. Um, I fight with my mom about the microwave all the time. Yeah. It's, it's a constant argument. What's the what's the basis of the fight? Bobby wants to use the microwave to heat many things. I know, don't, yeah. Including cooking potatoes no. in there, no. all sorts of things. No thanks. Sorry, Bobby, you're on blast. I yeah. love you. I remember two <laughs> Thanksgivings ago, we had a huge fight because we always do leftovers, obviously, the day after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And Bobby puts the leftovers in the microwave to heat them up, which makes sense. I mean, I get it. Okay. But I just, I don't know. I grew, we grew up in the nineties where like, you know, it was like, don't eat any fat and all the microwave will kill you all of a sudden. Yet everyone still used it. But I think we were, we were bred to fear a microwave. I'm not sure if it's bad for you or not. I remember my dad would be like, don't open the door too quickly. Those right. rays will come out and fry your brain. Yeah, they're like, like did you hear about the story about this? <gasps> oh, don't. Okay, I can't. Are Let's, you going to say like a, a somebody creepy putting, pa- creepypasta story? No, somebody putting like an animal. Yeah. In the micro- I don't, or the gremlins. Okay. I try not to microwave any animals unless they're already dead. Okay, let's get back to this carrot cake. Listen, I never made <laughs> motherfucking carrot cake. I did watch I the Oscars listening. though. And Oscars. I have to speak to the fact that A... I think that people in the Oscars should not be allowed to thank random people whose names we don't know in the Academy. Like, I just want to thank, you know, Paul Smith and my agent. Who gives a shit about those people? Nobody thanks Harvey Weinstein anymore. Uh, Well, yeah. (laughs) But they used to. Yeah, they used to thank him. You know how. 
But listen, I just really think if you're out there listening to all you famous celebrities who are winning Oscars, please just say something relevant, important, a funny joke, something memorable that will inspire people. You have a couple seconds up there. Why are you talking about random Hmm. agents who are already famous, who are privileged people we don't know. You do not need to think. Send Maybe. them a card. Well, you know how it is. You Send know how this card. world works. Secondly, I don't think I've had a more awkward, uncomfortable moment in my entire 35 years on this planet than watching Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper sing to each I other. I haven't seen it. I wanted to die. I mean, it was good. Like, of course, she's wonderful. And uh, Bradley Cooper's not so... He's pretty easy on the eyes. I just couldn't. I was like, you guys don't have to keep pretending to be in a relationship. The, the movie's over. We're, you know what I mean? This isn't like a contest to see if you can convince us. Unless you are in love, in which case, stop eye-fucking each other in front of your wifey. It was just too much. Anyway, so then after that, we had some uh, Cacio e Pepe. And we drank a bottle there of this go. delicious, I wish I remember the, the name, but this delicious natural Pulgazi red wine that I got at Thirst, which was delicious. It comes in a liter bottle. I, I'll t- I'll put the name on the Instagram. It was great. Take a picture. I'm going to drink it right I, now. I will take a picture. Damn it, you didn't bring any. I didn't. Anyway, that's what I've been doing. Well, meanwhile, over <laughs> meanwhile, over in the over in Fort Greene, yes, I've been obsessed please. with rum. Ooh! I'll tell you everybody that's listening right now. Uh, I have many years of experience of different phases of alcohol, uh, and I will say... <laughs> But don't believe people that don't say that different things get you drunk differently or that they don't because they do. I mean, for sure. I used to deny, be like, oh, you know, uh, when I drink bourbon, I get angry. Well, I'm starting to realize that might be true. My mother says that my father gets cocky when he drinks gin martinis. That means that he gets like, he gets like arrogant. He's like, eh. Like, oh, I was thinking it was like code for. No, 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 no. He gets like, he sex. gets annoyed with, he's he just starts to act super arrogant. Like, oh, oh a know it all. Uh, and then I think when I drink vodka, my eye twitches. Uh, <laughs> when I drink copious amounts of red wine, my joints hurt. There's all kinds of things, uh, you know? Yeah. And I guess the drunk is different. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So rum's a good drunk. It's really clean. It's really happy. It is. Uh, it's low in carbohydrates. If you're on the keto diet, super safe. It's very, very low in carbohydrates, so you don't have to worry about that. You know, people are like, but it's made mm. from sugar. I know, but it's distilled, which means that there's no sugar in it. Well, I also think the misconception with rum is that usually rum is used in very sweet drinks that mm-hmm. give people headaches. So I think people think when they drink rum, they're going to get a headache because it's like, it's the, I don't, it's the muscle memory or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, oh, when I drink margaritas, but you probably were drinking High right. fructose corn syrup, lime things from, you know, some, exactly. Exactly. So I'm all about the rum. All about the rum. What, where did your drinking, what did you start drinking as a child? Bartles and James? Uh, my first, my first alcohol, my grandfather used to have a fabulous bar in his basement. He was an engineer. Everything was in red and black diamonds. He had all these fixtures from 1940s. He was a railroad engineer. So there was like, and lots of faux fur. Very 1960s. And he built this tiny little bar that he welded together himself. He's a welder. And around it ran a small miniature train around the top of the bar. There was a train set that, like an electric train that ran around the bar. Are you serious? Yeah, and he used to take me down. And he had clowns everywhere. And he would take me down... I'm going to have to stop you. It was a fr- fake fur-lined bar with a train running around the top of it. Yeah. That, and there were clowns also. Uh-huh. And then on the bar, there were all these uh, train car lights that you could flip either red or or soft white. This is amazing. Was my so, dad there? This sounds like something yeah, he would so do. So then I would go downstairs, and my grandfather would give me shots of Seagram 7. <gasps> and I thought it was so fun. And then uh, Ristacat brandy. But all the bottles were from the 60s. 
So they're all like special edition with, you know, kind of 1960s gaudy, like crystal tops and, you know, Seagram 70 or I don't know, Seagram 7. So that was my first alcohol. And that was what I first blacked out to. Oh, that's when I told my parents that I uh, drank shots of 7-Up. Oh, but yet yeah. I was passed out with vomit in my underwear in the basement. I used to do the same thing. I started with uh, scotch with doers because that's what my grandma drank. Anyway, well, <laughs> so, so that's where the alcohol. Weird. <laughs> so that's so weird. That's where the alcohol is. Mm. And the drinking started. So what's one of your, the best possible things that one could eat when they have a lot of alcohol going in the, to their tummy? This is an awkward segue. What's today's topic, Breton? Uh, noodles. Noodles. Oodles of noodles. Sorry, stop being a wet noodle over there. God damn it. If I <laughs> had a quarter for every time you'd call me a wet noodle, I'd have one quarter and I would be very upset and wet and noodly. Actually, you know what? I am a bit noodly. Like, as a person, mm-hmm. I think like, You are kind of a noodle. Right? I'm just a little bit spindly and very kind of awkward and like whoa. Yeah, yeah. you're like a popper deli i'm like a, a wild a wacky wild inflatable flailing arb two man yeah yeah I would, I would, exactly you're a popper deli you kind of pull out of the thing and it's kind of hot you have to like flip i'd it prefer around. to be more like a bucatini a popper deli is a little wide honestly <laughs> well Come on. Know, at an angle it has a slender <laughs> side all right so today's topic is noodles very big topic that we're daring to undertake here these two nincompoops you and i yeah noodles broad subject right oh it's just so small just the tip of the iceberg but i'm like wait a second every country's got them right yes hand pulled hand cut extruded soba you know linguine rice noodles think about pierogies uh spetzel what else name some more well we just saw a food food celeb on the way out carl lolly music who was just talking about zoodles zoodles the imposter noodles don't zoodles if you're listening or those of you that are on the Zoodle diet, <laughs> uh, we were told that in Costa Rica, according to Carla Lally Music, that Costa Rica is where they have good Zoodles. Yes. She was shocked. She said she hated the zucchini, but then in Costa Rica, it was the opposite, and it was delicious. Everybody buy your plane ticket for wild Zoodle action. You know, I will say I had to make some Zoodles when I worked for a catering company, uh-huh. and I was had to make paleo-specific foods. Right. And then when I worked in the Hamptons last summer, when I was cooking, they wanted uh, eggplant noodles. And so the hell, I, what the fuck hell is you that? You just shave them really thin. You An eggplant like a, noodle? Yeah, there, I, there's like a there's a zoodle maker. Get and the fuck out of here with that. I have to say it was good. We made eggplant layered, you know, lasagna. Oh well, that's different. But an eggplant noodle, I'm thinking that would just fall right apart because eggplant's so soft. The way that the zoodle cutters cut it, it has a specific technique. So, <sighs> God, you know what? I can't stand. I don't know if I can stand the world anymore. Well. I guess we'll just have to get into where noodles came from. Please. Now, there are a lot. Now, folks, listen. Everybody has a theory about where things came from. And my theory of the world is that things, and this is true in history, is that things often started around the same times, right? But in other parts of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly you're like, oh, I think of a trend. Like, oh, my God, Doc Martens are making a comeback. But also in Munich, Germany, (laughs) there's a kid thinking that. And also... (laughs) In Korea, there's probably a young teenager that's like, we're also going to... So then suddenly the trend happens, and it happens simultaneously throughout the world. And so other people are thinking of the same things, right? It's that conscious effort of global uh, idea. Now I'm just thinking of Doc Martens like spilling out with fresh pasta from them. Doc Martens not a fan, but that's personal. Whatever. I respect everybody's choice. So noodles were, I mean, they found noodles, according to the Smithsonian Magazine, Uh uh, 4,000 years ago, right? That's mad long. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they were traced to the Han Dynasty in China. 
And noodles were so important in Chinese culture. And if this is where you believe that they might have originated or one of the places, mm. right? Uh, not only was it one of the most economical way to actually keep people alive, but it also was the smartest. Why? Zara, you said this because they're basically free, right? Yeah, it's an obvious answer. I mean, it's really, Brett and I bumped into each other on the L train on the way over here, and we just started talking about pasta and how all different <laughs> culture, of course, as, yeah. as, hey, as we do. Hey, Breton, how about pasta? Yeah. And then what we, do you think of spaghetti? And then, you know, he was saying how, what he was just telling us, and I was talking about how I heard the Etruscans had had pasta in the ancient of Romans. Of course, yes. Four or 5,000 years ago. And, um, and then I turned to Brett and I go, you know what? It's not really such a shock if, you know, did, I guess the question is, did pasta come from China to Italy? That's what a lot of people say. And then I was like, it could have just occurred in many places. Yeah, did Marco Polo really bring pasta from his Chinese travels? Yeah, he might have. Maybe, but also it's possible that it's occurred without being brought anywhere. And I go, because pasta, it's obvious. Pasta, it's obvious. The new slogan for our- Trademark. Email us at lifesabanquetshow.com and for e- three easy payments of nineteen ninety nine a month, you can have our pasta. It's obvious tutorial. <laughs> but it is true. I mean, you can take anything. Pasta doesn't have to be as complicated as a, you know, doesn't have to be extruded. You can take a mass of grain, powdered, right? Or you could chop something up, I bet, roll some water, make a paste. That's what that's the word yeah. pasta means. It means paste. Exactly. And you can flatten it out. In certain parts of Japan and Asia, they use different methods to flatten it out, right? They use this mm-hmm. board, like, angled into the wall, and then they sit on this giant kind of teeter-totter looking thing, and it flattens out the door. Yeah, that's cool. And then if you watch it, go ahead and watch a video. It's really cool. You can use a rolling pin. You can use your hands. You could stretch it. You could run it. Run it over with a... Chinese mu- hand-pulled noodles. Yeah. You've seen that, right? Totally. You can run it over with a tractor. You can run it over with a mule-drawn carriage. You could hit it with a bat. So as you can see, there are a lot... <laughs> no, it's true. There's a lot yeah. of ways to make this very easy. And then not only that, you can dry them out, and then you don't have to worry about spoilage. And in the days before Check Out Rice episode, before 1920s, whenever it had a refrigerator, you had to keep things chilled, and you didn't have electricity. Everybody chill. Yeah, yeah, everybody chill. <laughs> so, as we can see, it's just obvious. And our pasta, it's our obvious. ancestors were very, very intelligent people. Well, yeah, because you're taking the cheapest things. You're taking flour, which, and, and well, they call them cereals, right? So, cereal grains. Cereals, exactly. Which have been, obviously, all, the sustenance of people from caveman times. What up, paleo people who think that they need to stop eating cereal grains? What mm-hmm. do you think? What do you think your caveman ancestors ate? You ding dongs, raw stegosaurus, and that's it? No, I don't think so. So anyway, I think it's just an obvious answer. It, it's something that can be dried and kept for faux e, mm-hmm. and you know every culture has its own own version of it, which we're going to kind of get into one specific one next. Oh, yes. After, well, after what? After this titillating commercial break brought to you by a fabulous noodle company. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear it. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. This episode has been brought to you by Worldwide Soba, a Japanese noodle production company. Founded by Shuichi Kotani. Worldwide Soba offers noodle consulting services in addition to supplying a variety of tools for wannabe noodle makers. Want to take a class? Worldwide Soba has it. Need a traditional Japanese soba knife? Worldwide Soba has that too. To learn more, visit worldwide-soba.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? 
Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dana Cowan, and I'm the host of Speaking Broadly here on HRN. Every week, I conduct intimate interviews with the brilliant, powerful women in the food world. We discuss their lives, their careers, and the ways in which they navigate the world at large. You can find Speaking Broadly wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we are back. I just have a couple of uh, noodle jokes for you. Yeah, go ahead. If you don't mind. Shoot. What do girls and noodles have in common? I don't know. They both wiggle when you eat them. Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that goes for pretty much anybody. What do noodles say after their prayers? Oh, I can't think of it. Ramen. (laughs) Ramen. How much do Chinese noodles weigh? Uh, Not sure. One ton. That's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least what do you call a fake noodle uh, i don't know an impasta oh my oh. god you're cracking me up over here oh you can count on me for the cheesiest or weediest jokes don't get me started i'm, I'm so laughing i'm having the best <laughs> time of my life breton thinks i'm the funniest person around so I listen have, yeah i want to hear i want to hear real i want to hear some juice when you hear the name zara tangora what do you think Mm, uh, crazy, passionate, um, eccentric, um, angry, uh, upset, uh, <laughs> nearly falling apart. Sorry, uh, unhinged at the seams. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Food wise, I'm sorry. Yes, I think meatballs. I think lasagna. Yeah, I think lasagna. Lasagna. Yeah. I used to have a restaurant called Brucey, and at this restaurant, we started a lasagna program as it was later coined mm-hmm. to call it a program where people could bring in their own pan. <laughs> a lasagna program. It was a lasagna program. Excuse me, uh, working on our lasagna program. Thank you. Uh, so anyway, we started a lasagna program. <laughs> Looking for interns for upcoming lasagna program. <laughs> we did. We had plenty of interns who learned to cook and make fresh pasta by That's making true. these lasagnas. So we go. would crank out tons of lasagnas per week just for the restaurant and for people to, and we would change the menu every day, but lasagna was a, a constant staple. Mm-mm. We also had this program where people would bring in their own pan and we'd make a lasagna in it for them and they would then take it home. And it so was then they could show successful. their guests, be like, look what I just made. Yeah, exactly. If they chose to lie. Well, lasagna always really it resonated with me. And we'll talk about this more later because it is just such a, people say the word comfort food. Yes. It never really stuck with me because I don't actually feel comfort. Like when I'm upset, food doesn't comfort me. Hmm. So I find myself I, detached from that. Yeah. A little I bit. don't have, the, I have the opposite. Okay. I feel like I don't eat when I'm upset but I do understand the term comfort food in terms of something that just makes you feel warm and excited about eating that builds community that's like it's relatable right Mm -hmm. and so lasagna brings you back it does kind of like a check-in back back home exactly and a a connecting thread to other people communities grounding right can stave off the pain and pressure of the rest of your day. The Some pain and the pressure of just existing, just waking up in the morning. And your eyes just don't want to peel open. And you just wake up and you say, why, why, God, again? <laughs> Except that you know that later there's a lasagna waiting and then everything Ow. suddenly becomes... I just pulled the muscle God. laughing. Ow. <laughs> it's true though, right? Yes. I thought the same thing when You're I woke just... up this morning. I was like, my ankle hurts and what the fuck is life about? And yeah. what's, oh, but like... Oh, paninis. I we'll just get into a- that. I hope I just started getting to it. <laughs> okay. So anyway, when I was thinking about noodles for today and I was thinking about my story, I was like, naturally, I have to do something about lasagna. 
Naturally. Naturally. And as my research showed, and to be honest, I had never really... <laughs> study show. I study show. <laughs> lasagna is actually one of the very first pasta shapes. And probably because it's very easy to make. There's no extruding involved. There's really not much cutting. It kind of started as a flatbread. What was it called? Longue? Yeah. What, what is it called? You said it was called longue back in the day? I don't the remember. The Greeks? Longue? I don't remember that. When I saw you on the train, you're like, oh... Long, long, I know. I didn't God say anything. Damn it, like that. brains! You did. You did. You made up stories. Okay. Anyway, I have it in here somewhere. So this is an hour ago, right? Just to be clear. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It was I, just less than an hour, Matt. It was less than an hour ago. Breton greeted me with the Greek name for lasagna. But anyway, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. I thought it was Arso. No. So back, 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 and forth and forth. Um. They say that, like, as we were talking about before, that the Etruscans probably created noodles, or they're one, they had noodles uh, about 5,000 years ago. Studies have shown. Studies studies show. Archaeological. That 5,000 years ago. revealed noodles in Etruscan. Etruscans, which is basically pre Italians. However, going up a little further, in about the 8th century, uh, the Arabs introduced durum wheat to Sicily in around the 8th or ninth century. Mm-hmm. And that was really big. And obviously Sicily and North Africa, very close. Uh, lots of food overlappings and flavors and spices and tastes. Um, so they were really interested in because the hardness of things like pasta and couscous could be stored for long periods of time. Hence the phrase, uh, copyright pasta is obvious. Um, and they say that it literally changed the world because uh, it helped stave off famines. Well, I suppose so, yeah. In the Middle Ages. Um, early pasta made from durum wheat, lasagna, originates in Italy during the Middle Ages. And it was mainly ascribed the most po- the most popular kind of lasagna to Naples. Now, there was definitely accounts of lasagna before, which is mainly like a fermented dough flatbread. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. with honey. There wasn't really tomatoes in it. But the popular con- the lasagna that we know today had lots of different mixed meats, some tomato, although that kind of came in later in the picture, hard-boiled eggs, lots of organ meat, and layers of pasta that were dried on stone, hmm. basically. Hmm. You're right, because tomatoes weren't even brought into the Western world, or I'm sorry, from South America until very, I don't know, 18th century, right? Yeah, yeah. So tomatoes were kind of, well, that's toma- new. Tomatoes were more like in the 16th century, and mm-hmm. people didn't really eat tomatoes because they're nightshades, and people thought they were poisonous. That's right. Can you imagine? Yeah, so they, they just had a tomatoless world. And there's all different kinds. So when you go to northern Italy, they obviously have lasagna bolognese. When you're in Naples, they have the kind with lots of different sausage and meatballs and tomato and hard-boiled eggs. Um, when you are in boiled eggs inside of lasagna, when you're in Liguria, you get pesto lasagna, pesto lasagna, it's delicious. Um, there's, so there's all different kinds of lasagna. Obviously when you jump over the coast with some, some fried whiting and some pesto lasagna, right? Crisp white, really minerally white wine, Mm. salty, delicious. Yeah. Amazing. So, but what I wanted to kind of talk about today was something that really surprised me. And it starts with the colonialization of uh, North Africa, particularly Ethiopia and Eritrea uh, in the late 1800s, which then continued again. It took a break and then came back kind of, <laughs> it made a comeback, a horrible comeback with Mussolini in World War II. So for about five to six years, Beginning in 1939, uh, uh, Eritrea and Ethiopia were occupied by Italy under Mussolini's rule. And in the capital cities, um, 
they were segregated and they were, there were certain areas in their own country where Ethiopians and Nigerians couldn't even go. And they only That's could so work crazy. as slaves and servants, which was absolutely disgusting and wow. awful. Um, but there was a the huge, in the world, yeah. huge Italian influence there. Um, and so the people of this area, and I want to mention that I got a lot of information for this particular part of my story from the nod, which is an amazing podcast. Really great. Yeah. Really, really great to check that out. Uh, it's a podcast that covers a gamut of African American issues. And this particular uh, episode was about, um, lasagna in Ethiopia. And this one woman who was featured in the podcast is incredible. And she was talking about her family's experience with lasagna. She was, asked what the most black food is that the most black food that's represented to her is and she said lasagna and the interviewer was very surprised because obviously you know that's not necessarily the same th- the first thing that comes up but so in Ethiopia they kind of took the Italian occupation and Eteria they took the Italian occupation and made the food their own even though they were being occupied against their will and it was mm-hmm. horrible and now for every single Christmas, birthday, important event, not only lasagna, but they say lasagna served at every single thing. You in every household every household in Ethiopia and has lasagna as part of their culture and spaghetti, but they said lasagna more often. Wow. It's made with more uh, than injera. They said it's second to injera. They said it's the other injera. Oh my god. That's how popular, if anyone doesn't know, injera is a teff flour, flat kind of bread thing that you eat with basically every meal. It's fermented and it's spongy and it's one of my favorite things. I mean, it's, it's, when it's done well, it's beyond. Right. It's delicious. So. And it's gluten free, or it's a, right? It's gluten free. I I don't know if teff has gluten or not. So I just thought this was like really, 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 really fascinating because I had no idea about the Italian influence in North Africa at all. Me neither. So they make this lasagna with less cheese. Um. Okay. A lot of times, no ricotta, ricotta, no ricotta, <laughs> ricotta, no ricotta, no ricotta, with no ricotta, ricotta, whatever at all. Um, sometimes with a little bit of a goat's milk ricotta. Oh yeah. Never with pork because most people are either Orthodox uh, Catholics or uh, Muslim, so they don't use pork. Okay. It's always lamb or beef sauce, um, seasoned with berberet, and uh, which is a really classic. Ethiopian and North African spice mix mm-hmm. that has fenugreek and coriander and mm. all kinds of things. Um, and it's just been a real intense part of the culture. And I think it's really just a testament to how oppressed people in this area and around the world are so amazing in the way of capitalizing on the things that they have rather than they don't have and saying you're gonna oppress us and and push your food culture on us well we're gonna take it and we're gonna make it our own and we're gonna make it better and fuck you for trying you know what i mean Mm -hmm. turn it on its head and i just i don't know i thought it was like really really fascinating really interesting i would love to try some of those lasagna i would too in north africa in north africa in somalia they have uh spaghetti almost everywhere served with meat sauce and they also serve it with a banana whole unpeeled banana on the side that you're supposed to take and mash into the spaghetti and you eat it with banana is it a, a, a more like a plantain or is it no a actual, real banana because bananas are the most popular uh fruit grown banana in somalia. spaghetti yes banana spaghetti exactly Wow. And then in uh, Tunisia, just goes to show Tunisians consume the third greatest amount of pasta per capita, which is, I think, fascinating. So who's that number one is? I I don't know, probably I'm Italy. Chi- I would assume China, a, right? A, a pasta though, not not just noodles, pasta like oh. spaghetti and Italian style pasta. 
Yeah. Well, spaghetti is just the word for... There's shapes that are the same. Spaghetti means thin strand. Thin strand. But yeah. Chinese noodles also have thin strands. They're just not called, they're right, just not of called course. pasta. Right. It's right. just like, a, it's just a different, different word. Right. And so the thing that like really, and we started kind of talking about this at the beginning of the show, just to quickly wrap up here on this like short story and bit of tidbit of information, but I think it was really interesting. I think that lasagna North Africa, again, is a testimony to how oppressed people can take their oppression that they're forced to endure into their own hands and make something out of it and capitalize on it um, rather than not. And then noodles in general, I think, are a really amazing unifier because everybody's family somewhere, noodles are cheap, and everyone's Mm -hmm. family somewhere was poor back in the day. And so I think in our DNA is sown in a love of pasta somewhere Mm -hmm. pasta noodles comfort comfort togetherness because it's basic sustenance life yeah and we started joking pasta is obvious but really like every single culture and every family somewhere back in your line i know that today it's (laughs) gluten-free is all the rage but you know f that and uh you're right my emotional my emotional kryptonite is spaghetti and meatballs yes but everyone i bet if you ask any single person somewhere in their family in the world from anywhere in the world a noodle is something that is like most important to them wow so put that in your noodle and put that in your pot and boil it yeah (laughs) okay okay (laughs) so anyway that's my small short story about a really interesting cultural surprise well that that is is great the, when they say you learn something new every day, I am actually, I'm dying to go look this up and I want to... Yeah, we should make it. Make that. I love that spice combination. Yeah. The fenugreek, coriander, yep. berber, it's berberry. Berberry. Berberry, yeah. Yeah. Correct pronunciation. So should we discuss our chef recommends <sighs> tips today? For- Listen, chef recommends... What are we going to talk about today? I think we should talk about the different flavor profiles that go along with different noodles around the world. Because when we say pasta or perhaps noodles, again, as we were just saying, there's so many different kinds. This could mean Polish. This could mean uh, Asian. And by Asian, we could divide that up into a ton more countries that are completely opposite of or unique in their own preparations of their types of noodles. So that's even too broad to say like Asian, but like, is that Japanese? Is that Chinese? Is that Vietnamese? Is that Cambodian? Uh, So 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 many different kinds. I think what's accessible to most people are things that are either Japanese, Mm -hmm. uh, some parts of Chinese. I mean, everybody, there's a lot of Chinese markets, even in smaller, in smaller towns. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can order anything over over the internet. Vietnamese is really popular. And so is Thai, right? And of course, Italian, Pretty much every grocery store, every market anywhere has the ingredients to make an Italian-style noodle or pasta dish, right? And you know why? why? Every supermarket in America has that. Because why? we were lucky enough to have Italian people immigrate to this country. And now we're lucky to have Thai ingredients and Thai noodles and Japanese noodles and Chinese noodles because mm-hmm. people were allowed to immigrate to this country and, and open bring their food. Bring their food, which is delicious. Yes, delicious. Immigrants are a positive part of this country, everyone who agrees, who's listening. Exactly. Okay, so here where we're going to start. If you want to start to, let's say you're not a cook, or let's say you are a cook, and you think, yeah, you know what, I need to expand my uh, noodle nomenclature. And right now I'm only cooking, like, you know, everybody's kind of got their things, right? I used to cook, like, you know, spaghetti meatballs when I was younger, and then I branched off to bucatini and mochicciana, then I went to, like, white sauces, then I went to, like, better white butter emulsified sauces yes and then you know recently i got super into vietnamese style so how do you decide what you want to cook well first of all what do you like right yeah like maybe you're like you know what i really do like the vietnamese right you know rice noodles with that wonderful beef broth you know like a pho style and how can i make that at home without maybe i don't maybe you don't know 
or like you don't have the time or the energy or just the know-how to make like a beautiful beef broth. But basically in a Vietnamese style, you're just looking for some bean sprouts. You want the mint and the Thai basil. You can even yeah. sub regular basil, but then you want a little bit of that cinnamon stick. In Lime. The, in, exactly. Right? Allspice, which is Allspice. the interesting kind of uh, the, the French connection mm-hmm. in a way. There's- yeah, because... These were all spice trades that right and colonization, unfortunately, but at least the food culture survived. Maybe some cool star way. anise, right? So there you've got your Vietnamese style, right? You want to you want to make some right like ramen. Ramen's super popular, mm-hmm. right? What are Zara? What are the ramen flavors? We used to make ramen. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I think a rich, delicious, super. I mean, the word gets tossed around a lot, but umami broth, and by that, and just thinking about things that are that weird sense of savory that's almost unexplainable. So, I think if you're gonna make something ramen based, I always want to throw shiitake mushroom into the broth and mm-hmm. get that kind of a thing. nice rich chicken broth, right? A rich chicken broth, a rich pork broth, egg, scallion. Sesame um, oil. Sesame. Miso, of course. You know what? Uh, I read something. If you don't have any stock or chickens, rich uh, rich chicken stock around mm-hmm. or haven't made any, if you just boil some water and add a tablespoon of miso, it's so flavorful. So that flavorful. It, that, that kind of acts as the... Yeah. It's like your... Um, what is that called? The soup bases? Oh, like... Like a bullion cube. Yeah, my mom is big on bullion. Yeah. Bobby, this is the Bobby up, Bobby on Blast You episode. know, bullion cubes are basically just... Do you remember in the 19... 19- <laughs> when dehydrators started to be really big? They're like, even make your own bullion. Yeah, we were just watching Ron Popeil videos the other day. Ron Popeil. And I, when I was a kid, I was like, I just dried all these vegetables into like a fruit roll-up, and then I tried to puree <laughs> it into a powder, and I wanted to make my own bullion cubes. Oh, wow, you're so ambitious, even as a tyke. Yeah, yeah, even as a tyke. I was like, well, if I do this... I used to make my own potpourri and anything. Uh, uh, anyway, but yeah, so bullion cubes, whatever, something like that. Add some miso. And then as always, I think we would recommend for ways to interestingly cook noodles. I mean, find the noodle that matches up, of course, and you can try to replicate those flavors. We have access to the internet. But then something that I've always done, and I think Breton has done too, is experimenting with flavors that maybe don't go. So I used to own an Italian restaurant. We made all kinds of fresh pasta and switched our menu every day. So I've had a lot of experience with trying to combine other flavors with Italian-style pasta. And that's okay, too. Make a miso butter, toss it with some fresh parpadel, maybe throw in some like rose pork into there and then a crunch. I think a thing about noodles, it's almost like a blank canvas for you. And they're, I you think know, you can do anything. You absolutely can. And just like any other food you're going to eat, try to balance it. And, you know, I think the a great thing about a noodle is it has this like very specific, wonderful mouth feel. And luxurious luxurious and so to like that, Calgon take me away kind of a mouthfeel totally <laughs> to that I like to often <laughs> add a crunch and you know you can get that through like fresh herbs nuts breadcrumbs whatever so I think just like have fun with noodles um, or zoodles or oodles of noodles ramen noodles I used to love ramen noodles in a cup which brings me to my next question is what are your three top three top three what is it what are your top three kinds of noodles Okay. All right. My top three kinds of noodles. Um, I love number three is going to be that I, this is sort of a recent discovery by like the last eight years. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, that's recent. Um, (laughs) in the last 30 years I've discovered (laughs) just yesterday. Friends over 300 years old. Yeah. Uh, there's a shape called capricciosa or capricci Mm -hmm. and it's a very tiny corkscrew. It, It sometimes goes by different names depending on the company, but there's a very fabulous Italian company called Setaro. S-E-T-A-R-O. You can actually buy them online. And they make gorgeous, gorgeous pasta. They're old. Like the pasta extruder dies are made of, are they copper or brass mm-hmm. or copper. something? Copper, right? So they have... Or brass, actually. They have actually 
the more they're used, they form these tiny little textures, and that's kind of what gives all these pasta these micro textures. So that's a really good one. Capriccioso number two, I would say linguine. Oh, my God. Because I mia. love a linguine. I can't describe I've tried other shapes. And then I would say my number one, wait for it, what is it? <laughs> You're going to laugh because it's, so it's from what my child, it? Mastacholi. What's that? Mastacholi is kind of like a penne, but in the 80s, they, I think some company like Barilla or something, Contadina, like rebrand, or just, it's another what's, name. What's the shape look like, it though? It looks like a penny. A tiny penny. But it's not ribbed or anything. It's smooth not on the outside. Not ribbed for his pleasure. Not ribbed for his pleasure, and it's smooth on the outside for her pleasure. Oh, fabulous. Or his. I don't and know why ribbed was like, oh, ribbed is pleasurable. It kind of looks like baked, it's a little bit bigger than ziti. Like, if you've okay. heard of baked ziti. Understood. I, again, I'm stuck in nostalgia, but it just, there was something about that shape. Yeah. And my mom used to make it, and that, yeah. I guess, right? Nostalgia. Nostalgia is such a huge part of food in general, but I think. But I have something. Okay, so what about you? What's your. Okay. Three, oh, Zora. Uh, so listen, uh, here's my question Does a pierogi or a ravioli yeah, of course it qualify does. as a noodle? Absolutely. Okay, perfect. There is no. So then my number three favorite, I guess, would have to be a pierogi. Mm-hmm. I love a pierogi. They're delicious. They have like such an interesting, they're like a ravioli, but obviously so different. Yeah. And the potato filling is very special. Um, it is, it is. I really, really, really love uh, pad thai. As silly as it is, a good shitty pad thai from an average Thai place that you zhuzh up at home and put like more crack, crushed up peanuts on and a handful yeah. of cilantro. <laughs> more fish sauce, more lime. I more, just yeah. like, it's so satisfying to me. In, in uh, again, in a way that just speaks to a nostalgic part of me. And number one, I mean, this is really hard. I think it would have to be Parpadelle. Parpadelle, a thi- and not just because you said I'm a Parpadelle. Yeah, because you kind of look like one. <laughs> I mean, you don't look like rude. one. Rude. They're very thin. How rude is They're this? They're th- co- so thin. That's true. But wide. But wide from the front, thin <laughs> from the side. There you go. <laughs> just like me, kind of, I guess. Um, but no, I love a Parpadelle. I love a wide noodle with a nice chew to it that you can also twirl. And in like a pink sauce. I'm salivating. With that's a, she's so Long Island. Not white, not red, but pink. pink. Long Islanders love pink things. Yeah, yeah. They like to mix. Like, yeah. They can't decide. They're like, do we do New Both. England clam chowder or Manhattan clam chowder? But like, Long Island clam chowder, like half and half. Exactly. So uh, a parbidao with like spinach and a pink sauce, a little dal barugat on the top, and oh my god, That's ricotta for those of you that aren't that from I love. a small secular community at, <laughs> east of New York. <laughs> Where are your top three? <laughs> We're going to do two top threes today. Where are your top three favorite places to get noodles from? Okay. First of all, my number one answer is obvious I'll, I'll save that obviously until i get to number one but number three i still love lupa delicious if you want a good italian style uh roman style specifically yeah. actually most of the times they make you know really good cacio pepe really good bucatini matriciana that kind of stuff yeah. right those are my top uh my, that's my two favorite italian style pastas and then number two um i would say i really really love uh, what's that place called? The um, on Fifty Second, the Japanese noodle shop that I was Toto Ramen. Oh yes, I delicious. do like Toto Ramen. It's very heavy, but it's fun to go to. And that that ramen noodle that they have is just exquisite. The broth is it's beautiful beyond. It's but beyond. it's again, it's heavy, and everybody ha- you can't split anything. Yeah, you have to order your own entree. And of course, number one, da da da. It's a it's a, a restaurant called Abby. Noodle Village because it's. A village of noodles, and it's my favorite preparation. It's trending all over, but it's ginger scallion lo mein. It's delicious. It's thin, kind of like angel hair style, like egg noodles, very soft and very. Good. And they put tons of very, very finely chopped ginger and scallion, and then that XO sauce, which is kind of this 
weird electric brown sauce. It's that's... delicious. Noodle Village is really incredible. The texture of those thin noodles. And is you get a bowl of noodles, everything. and on the side of it, they give you a bowl of broth. Yeah. So that you can either dip your noodles, drink it separately. It's the and it's six dollars and ninety five cents. Yeah. I mean, it's really good. I really love it. Um, my top, top my top three places to get noodles. Oh my gosh, this is a really hard. I know one it's a very me. hard question. This is a very tough question because if you asked me in an hour, I would have a completely different. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, for nostalgia's sake, I really love Bamantes. Now, I'm gonna say that Bamantes by no means has the best pasta. It's not super like it. I don't know if you don't go there expecting. Bamantes food. is a very very old classic Italian American restaurant yes. in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Exactly, and it's been owned by the same people for what over a hundred. It's amazing. Years. It's a it's one of the greatest places yeah. ever. But they have a their fresh homemade ravioli there are so delicious. They are unbeatable. They're the best ravioli anywhere. I love them. The um, number two place, which is a really serious pasta temple, is Isodi. Isodi, yep, that's a, that's in the West Village. Amazing, owned, owned by Rita and uh, Jody and Jody Jody Williams. Um, and then I think my number one place to get noodles from. I really love the hand pulled noodles at Spicy Village, which is a very small hole in the wall place in Chinatown. Uh, their hand pulled, hand cut noodles are absolutely delicious. They come in the big tray chicken. Get them with a cup. They're one dollar each. They're amazing. That's, I how can you even make that? I don't know I, the labor cost alone. That place is really great. Um, well, this has been quite a noodly episode. There are so many. Slippery, hot, wet, <laughs> oily, saucy. Long, thin. Short, fat. Yeah. Wide, stuffed. Stuffed. <laughs> stuffed noodles. Packed. Well, listen, go ahead. You know what? You don't got time to make noodles. You go buy them. Find a fresh pasta place. I'm sure everybody's got them. Caputo's. Get inspired. Go for it. Mix your sauce, mix them up, half and half, do it, sesame oil, mix them together. Maybe you want tomato sesame. Whoa! Oh, that's crazy. Oh, also, I want to shout out Mr. Sausage in Long Island, in Huntington, Long Island. Best variety of fresh pasta absolutely anywhere in New York. And Caputo's also great fresh pasta. Well, to the best places. We hope we've inspired you. And again, check out other the, the, the other than us, the other fabulous podcasts on Heritage Radio Network. Please do. They're all really great. We love all of the hosts are amazing. And Heritage is amazing. And please support them. And we'll see you next Tuesday, same time, same place. This is the most significant hasta la pasta I've ever given. Hasta la pasta. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.